I've been been becoming aware more and more of how much I or we, my wife and I, our family is blessed. I have a beautiful, intelligent, loving wife of almost 45 years. Uh, we have four children that love the Lord along with their spouses. Um, we've got reliable transportation to get us wherever we need to go. We have a, a beautiful home full of stuff. Uh, we have more clothes than we need. Uh, we've got food. We've, I told my wife the other day we probably wouldn't have to go shopping for anything other than bread and milk and eggs for the next two months if we wanted to clean out the freezer and the cupboards. Uh, clean water. You know, we've got water to to drink, to wash our clothes and everything else. Uh, we have a freedom to travel wherever we want to in the U.S. You know, we don't, if we're going from here to Kansas, we don't have to get stopped by the border guards to show our ID or anything. Uh, we, we know that, you know, we have enough money to pay the bills and everything that's coming along. Um, we have excellent health care uh, between private health care and the, the VA. Uh, we have friends um, all over. Diane and I both grew up in western New York and served churches there, uh, served churches in central New York, Maryland, Delaware. Uh, since then, we've lived in Kentucky and two places in Florida and now Oklahoma. So we have friends in all of those places. We can worship without fear. Uh, where we go to church, it's a, a great body of Christ uh, growing and reaching out in the community and the country, the world. Uh, we've got a, a great life group that we meet with uh, weekly uh, and share joys and concerns in the Word of God. Um, we've got 14 healthy grandchildren. It seems like more and more I've been seeing these uh, ads or commercials for uh, St. Jude's and you, you see these little kids, um, you know, one, two years old that, you know, are suffering with cancer. Uh, you know, and our kids, you know, they've, they've got a few problems here and there. But, you know, we are really blessed. They are really blessed. So praise God. You know, like the refrain to the song says, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. It's something that I suggest that we all do frequently, uh, especially if we're going down for something, you know, we're having problems. Well, look at all the good in our lives as well. You know, I mean, I realize that some listening may not be able to count as high as I can, uh, and some can count much higher. But nevertheless, we're all blessed in many ways. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your blessings. Lord, the ones that uh, just kind of come what seems natural to us and uh, those blessings that just kind of pop out of nowhere when there's a need. And that's because you love us and you're watching over us and you tell us that you'll meet all of our needs. And so, Father, we just praise you for that. So, Lord, the one thing we need uh, is more and more of your word. And so, Father, uh, as I bring this message, Lord, I just pray that you'll open the eyes and ears and the hearts of people 
and let your Holy Spirit work. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you listened to my last two messages, you know where this one is going. <clears throat> the last two were, how does this suit you? And how does this suit you too? And this one is, how, do you, how does this suit you three? So we're going through the armor of God. I talked about why we need it. Uh, we need it because of Satan and the fact that we can't meet him alone or beat him alone, excuse me. Uh, and then I went through some of the first pieces of armor, the belt, the breastplate, and the footwear of some kind, shoes, boots, sandals, whatever it might be. Well, today's message is about the other two pieces of the armor. <coughs> Excuse me. So let's go to Ephesians 6, and this is verse 16. In addition to all of this, okay, the other pieces that Paul had already talked about, uh, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Okay, what's interesting is when you first look at uh, the beginning of uh, verse 16, it says, in addition to all of this, the King James says, above all, take up the shield of faith. The uh, English Standard Version says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. So it sounds to me like you should never leave your shield at home. Okay, no matter where you go, uh, whether you think you're just going into friendly territory or the enemy's territory, uh, just we kind of never really know. So the shield is a, a very important part of the armor. And, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> it was used in addition to the belt, the breastplate, and the footwear. Okay, it wasn't something, not saying you don't need that other stuff. You know, don't worry about the belt. Don't worry about the breastplate. Don't worry about what's how your feet are covered. You know, just make sure you got your shield. No, it says in addition to that. Okay, so it probably would protect you better than most other parts of the armor. Now, the word shield is only used here in the New Testament. No place else. Okay, we, we see it several times in the Old Testament because somebody was going to battle with somebody else on every page, it seemed like. Uh, but Paul said that this shield was important because it was the shield of faith. Now, looking at this shield, uh, figurative, figuratively or literally, it was special. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, when I think of a shield, I think of something... You know, maybe a foot and a half wide or so. You know, maybe two and a half feet long. But that's not the shield that we're talking about here. Okay, the shields that most of the warriors would have carried at that time, they were large. Uh, big enough for a lot of men, uh, maybe most men, to be able to hide behind it if they needed to. So, but Paul... <coughs> excuse me, is talking about a special kind of shield because he says, with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Okay, this shield was covered with leather and it would be soaked in water to extinguish the flaming arrows. Okay, and 
I can imagine that it would make the shield kind of heavy and bulky and, you know, not real easy to carry. But it was life-saving. Okay, and so the flaming arrows that uh, the shield was meant to protect you from were real flaming arrows. But as a believer, the flaming arrows are the things that Satan throws at you, you know, in any way that he can. Uh, because he, he can look at you and know your weak spots and know what's being uh, covered by that shield of faith and where, you know, you're not covered in the ways that you need to be. So Paul is talking about it in a, in a different way than the physical shield because he says it's a shield of faith. Okay, Paul didn't say take up a shield. He said take up the shield of faith. Okay, don't just take up a, a soldier's shield. You need to take up the shield of faith. <coughs> now, I just said that the shield could be life-saving. Well, the shield of faith is life-saving as, as well. So how is a connection made? Well, can faith save someone? Well, duh, it saved me. Uh, and saved you as well, if you're a follower of Jesus. So faith is something that grows in us. Okay, maybe the size of our shield is related to the size of our faith. The more faith we have, the larger the shield. Uh, think about that, okay? That, you know, when you first became a believer three weeks ago, 50 years ago, whatever it was, you know, your, your faith was small and it keeps growing. You know, even if it was three weeks ago when you came to the Lord, you know, you have more faith today than you did then. And so, you know, our, our faith is growing and so it allows us to uh, ward off more of those arrows. Now, if we go back to David and Goliath, okay, 1 Samuel 17, uh, it talks about Goliath's armor and his weapons. And at the end of verse 7, it tells us this. His shield bearer went ahead of him. <clears throat> now, it tells us that Goliath was over nine feet tall. <clears throat> so a man that size needed a big shield. Uh, he probably didn't really fee, feel he needed that shield against David coming at him with a sling and stones, but still the shield bearer went ahead of him just in case, you know, it was some kind of a surprise attack by someone else. Okay, so was, the size of his shield had nothing to do with the size of his faith, except the faith that he had in himself. So as we move on to Ephesians 6, 17, it says, take the helmet of salvation helmet. Now, who wears a helmet? Well, soldiers obviously wear a helmet. Football players wear a helmet. Baseball players, when they're up to bat, uh, some of them still, when they're running the bases, will wear a helmet. Uh, many people that work in uh, different kinds of construction wear helmets. Uh, some people, factory workers, you know, they have to wear a helmet. Uh, you know, the one that came to my mind was the pith helmet, 
uh, you know, uh, different movies, old movies by now that you would see with uh, Jungle Jim or whoever it was, and they would wear these helmets. And, you know, I always kind of wonder, well, what? why are they wearing that? It seems like it would be really hot. Well, it wouldn't be because they would soak it in water and that would keep their head cool. Good idea. Okay. Well, a helmet protects the brain. Now, it can't protect it from everything. Uh, it can protect it from like shrapnel, uh, from a grenade or um, a, maybe a, a mortar round, you know, small pieces of, of steel shrapnel. Uh, it would protect it from that. Not going to protect it from most bullets. Okay. So, you know, but it's still there's that protection that's there. So in, in Paul's time, it would protect you from being struck by a sword or arrows or a javelin. And so it was something that was special, you know, just like the shield was special. It wasn't just a shield. It was a shield of faith. And again, Paul didn't say, you know, go grab a helmet. He said, no, you need to get the helmet of salvation. Okay, now, like it or not, agree or disagree, salvation is first received in the mind. Okay, we don't have to be able to figure it out or make sense of it. I mean, trying to figure out salvation, you're not going to do it anyways. It's something that's accepted by faith. But we do need to come to a point in our mind where we realize that salvation is what we need. Okay, that, that our life may not be going too well, that we may be making a lot of, you know, really bad mistakes, uh, you know, uh, maybe financial problems or relational problems or sickness, whatever. And we come to the point where, we, where your mind tells you, you know, I need Jesus. You know, maybe in a church service, uh, maybe listening to something on the radio or TV or talking with a friend uh, that, that talks to you about salvation. And you finally say, yeah, that's what I need. And then it travels from our mind, from our brain to our heart, <clears throat> where salvation really takes up residence. And the heart says, yeah, I've been trying to tell you for years you needed salvation. Okay, so the, the helmet of salvation helps us to think of many things. Hmm. And it should make us think, now, who can I share this with? You know, who is there in my family, my coworkers, my neighbors, my friends? You know, who is it that I can share this gift with that I've received? And it also makes us think about the fact that we've been forgiven for so much, you know, that salvation has wiped out all of those sins, all of those bad choices uh, that you've made in your life. And just to think about the fact that, you know, I'm saved, you know, praise God. And, and I think the last thing that maybe that helmet will make us think of is because I'm a Christ follower, I need to live my life differently. You know, if I'm a Christ follower, I need to do just that. Follow the example that he gave us. So that helmet of salvation 
helped us change our lives and helps us to keep on changing. So let's look at the, the last piece of armor that's not really part of the armor, but it's a much needed addition to the armor. It's the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We're told in verse 17. Now, we notice one very important difference about this part. Uh, the belt, the breastplate, the footwear, the shield, the helmet, they're all defensive. They're to protect us from other things. But the sword of the spirit, the word of God, is also offensive. Okay, and you know, I know I have, and probably you have, of just talking about it being offensive. You know, talking about the other pieces as being defensive, but then when you get to the sword, that that's offensive. But it's defensive as well. Now, if you ever watched, you know, Robin Hood or uh, Ben-Hur type movies, whatever it might be, you know, they get into these sword fights and... You know, the sword was used to stop the other person's sword. So it's repelling the other enemy's thrust, uh, you know, until somebody wins or they both decide to quit. So in that, it's offensive and defensive. So how does that work for us as a believer? A great place to look is Psalm 119. Okay, over and over again, it tells us that. Hey, in verse 11, 11, says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. <clears throat> God's word, the sword, protects us against an enemy, protects us against ourselves. That hidden sword can fight off the enemy, can fight off the sin, if we choose to use it. Okay, but we cannot use what we don't have. That's why we need to have God's word hidden in our hearts, like it says in verse 11. Now, in Psalm 119, verse 160, it says, All your words are true, and all your righteous laws are eternal. If I'm going into battle, and, you know, I'm ready to face the enemy, I want to know that my sword is ready for battle as well. Okay, that it's sharp, that the, the handle's on tight, that my sheath is secure so I'm not going to end up losing my sword uh, in the battle. So if I'm going to do battle with the enemy, Satan, I need something to draw on. And that means that I have to put in the effort to know the scriptures. Now, that doesn't mean that you need to know scripture and verse. You know, I know a lot of people that do know a lot of scripture, uh, chapter and verse, and that's great. But, you know, it just means that we need to know the scriptures in our hearts, that we can use them against Satan in the battles. Now, Matthew 4 and Luke 4 tell us about Jesus spending uh, 40 days in the wilderness. And at the end of 40 days, he was hungry. So when he was approached by the tempter, Satan, Jesus drew his sword, and he won round one. Well, then Satan thought he was going to get tricky. So he pulled out the sword as well. 
is Matthew 4, 6 says, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now, at this point, Satan probably thought, I got him, okay? I've used, you know, his words and all, and so I know that I've got him. Well, Satan was quoting Psalm 91, and don't let Satan fool you into thinking that he's ignorant of God's word. Okay, he'll misquote it, and he'll use it against the, the greatest Bible scholars. Uh, so Satan knows the word of God very well. Satan's response, or excuse me, Jesus' response to Satan was, Oh no, Satan knows the scriptures. What am I ever going to do? Uh, no. In verse 7 of Matthew 4, says, Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. From Deuteronomy 6. Okay? And Jesus ended the confrontation with uh, Deuteronomy 6.10. He says, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So in Luke 4.13, it says, When the devil had finished his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. The most opportune time came that we're aware of is in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Satan was on the attack. Well, let me go back to Ephesians 6.13, where Paul says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. It's kind of interesting that there's two different words in the Greek for stand. Okay, the first one is anthistami, which means to oppose or to resist. And the second time Paul uses the word stand, it's histemi, which means to continue or to hold up. Okay, so if you stand up to someone and you're confronting or opposing them in some way, you know, that's the anthistemi. Okay, but after the battle has been going on for a while, okay, you need to be able to, to stand still and to, to hold up, you know, and that's the histemi. So the battle is going to continue, and you can't give up. Okay, you need to keep on fighting. You know, so Paul is saying, you know, you need to, to stand against the enemy, and after you've been doing everything you can, you need to continue to stand. You can't give up. Now, as much as I'm not a fan of the New England Patriots, Super Bowl 51 back in 2016, or after the 2016 season, <coughs> excuse me, New England was down 28-3 to in the third quarter. I remember watching the game thinking, ah, good, New England's going to lose. You know, Atlanta's crushing them. But they were able to stand and to continue to stand. They were able to hold up because they ended up winning 34 to 28, okay? That they had scored 31 points without 
the enemy without Atlanta scoring any more. So they could have given up. Yeah, and probably a lot of their fans did. Because I, I know, you know, being a Cleveland Browns fan, there's been times when when I've seen the Browns be ahead and the other team, you know, start scoring more and scoring more and the Browns aren't scoring. And, you know, I'm I'm ready to say, you know, forget it. You know, this game's over. But the players didn't. They came to stand his taming to continue to hold up. So we're all done with the armor. But Paul goes on talking about this and to me uh, making more sense to it because he says in, in 618 and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind be alert and always keep on praying for God's people you know some of God's people they don't really know about the armor of God they maybe read it, they maybe heard sermons on it, but they don't really know that that's talking about them today. It's not just talking about the church in Ephesus 2,000 years ago, but it's talking about believers today, churches today. Some of God's people don't think it's for today. They know what the armor means, but they think, you know, well, that was then, and that was, you know, for those people. And some of God's people, <laughs> they don't want to hear about praying in the Spirit. No, you know, that definitely is not for today. So those people need our prayers, okay? Because Paul is saying, keep on praying for all of God's people, okay? Even the ones that do understand and, you know, do know what the armor is for and do know it's for today. We still need to keep on praying for them because we never know when we're going to be in a battle again. And the point I think that Paul is making here is where this passage started in verse 12. It says, For a struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It takes the Holy Spirit for us to obtain this victory. So we need to remember, we gotta pray in the Spirit. So God gives us the full armor, okay? The belt gives us the truth. The breastplate is our righteousness. The, the shoes, the boots is our peace. The shield gives us a faith. The helmet brings us salvation. And the sword is a word of God. Don't leave home without your armor. Let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks for your word and how it is relevant today, that it was written hundreds of years ago. But Lord, we still need it today in our lives as we, we face that enemy every day in, in some way or another. And I know that some of us probably face it a lot more than others and are struggling more than, than others. But Lord, you're there for all of us. And Father, we just praise you for that. So, Lord, help us to remember the strength that we have, that it comes from the armor that you've given us. And, Lord, if there's someone that is listening that does not know your son, has not made a commitment, but maybe is just coming to a realization in their mind that the struggles that they have in life, that they're not going to defeat those struggles on their own, 
that they need Jesus. And so, Lord, help them to know that right now is the time, not next Sunday when they go to church, not, you know, when they talk to somebody else, but right now is when they can give their life to you. And they can do it by praying like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. Thank you for sending Jesus, your Son, to die for my sins. Thank you that he rose from the dead and is coming again. Help me to live my life as your child and to grow closer to you and to know that I have the protection of your armor in my life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.